where most personality typing tools that we use are really centered on kind of behavior. And I like to call that the tip of the iceberg. What the Enneagram really gets to is the why behind that behavior. So, you know, Stacy, I'm a two, you're an eight. You and I could do the very exact same behavior but we may have very, very different different reasons for why we're doing that behavior. And that's the crux of the Enneagram is getting to that core motivation and unpacking that for each of the types. Facts do not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything. I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves. Before we get started, a reminder, this podcast is for general education purposes only and not intended to be a medical diagnosis or providing of services of any kind. That said, I think that you'll find today's show more on the personal development side, and I'm excited to introduce you to Shannon of Twin Cities Enneagram, who I have actually worked with in the past to support both myself and my larger team with Beauty Counter for us to kind of explore our have insights into our own selves and also into the people that we work with, because I think one of the best ways to be your best self is to learn how to be better when interacting with others. So welcome, Shannon, to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be to be with you this morning. I've gotten a ton of comments of people who are super excited to hear more about Enneagram. I mentioned it briefly on Instagram yesterday and everybody was like, oh, I'm so excited for this show. I think Enneagram is one of those things where someone might tangentially have knowledge or information of, or maybe they even know their own type, but most people don't fully understand what it's all about, how it, you know, defines our relationships with other people and how we can lean into parts of our own knowledge once you once you have that knowledge set and then can use that to lean in a positive way into relationships one of the things I see on the on the internet all the time is like what are what are the bad enneagrams what are the good enneagrams and I I know we're gonna dive into it but there's all levels of like healthy and unhealthy within each one and so I think the more people want to explore and learn the more you're on that trajectory towards health so I've mentioned enneagram so many times but like I said I just don't think that a lot of people fully understand it and one of the things that I wanted to talk about was over the last few years I've really been able to understand more about insight into especially childhood and trauma, childhood trauma, but Mm -hmm. both of those things either independently or together and how it really ties into our Enneagram and the drivers for why we think or feel certain things. And to really be at our best on that healthy side of Enneagram, we have to understand more about that. And so as I've been 
learning more about myself through some of the you know, growth that I've done as a foster mom and all that kind of stuff. It's really been something that I wanted to share and explore here with listeners and give your wisdom a platform with our listeners because it was great to do a session with you and I know that other people can benefit from it. So I want to share more about Twin Cities Enneagram and then I would love for you to tell us in your own words, but your business where so if someone wants to consult with you or to learn more and do this kind of self-exploration or you know in my case business workshops different kinds of things Twin Cities Enneagram is the consulting I don't want to say firm but you're a group a company that I worked with to do the workshop with my team and I love that it's a service that you provide either, you know, from a business perspective or also from self-exploration. There's, you know, so many different ways that people can use the Enneagram and you all within that group have a combined experience of therapy, teaching and management. So you're able to facilitate experiences that can help individuals or groups towards self-reflection and growth, personal development, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm excited for you to talk a little bit about Twin Cities and yourself and your experience and how all that kind of comes together for you and for us to dive into what the Enneagram actually is. I love it. Thanks so much, Stacey, for that intro. It's really an honor to be having this conversation with you. Yeah, a little bit about myself and alongside of that Twin Cities Enneagram. So my my background, a little bit about my personality is that I've just always been a meaning maker and I do that through a lot of different things. My professional background is I started out as a literature and writing teacher and I share that anytime I talk about the Enneagram and how I came to it because so much of what I am kind of you know, what's at my core is being able to make meaning out of shared language or our shared stories together. And that's what I really believe is at the heart of the Enneagram. It's being able to uncover a shared language so that we can learn more about ourselves. And by doing that, we learn more about other people and expand our empathy for them. And so I was exposed to the Enneagram over 10 years ago. And really at that time, you know, was using it for my own personal self-discovery. It was kind of my my fun party trick, you know, at the time. A lot of people didn't know what the Enneagram was at that time. And I was really into Myers-Briggs and strengths and all the personality inventories that are out there. Just any way to kind of, you know, hang my coat on something to learn more about myself. Um, and then the more I started diving into it personally, I realized that it was spilling over in the way that I was, you know, teaching and developing others. And that that began to foster a curiosity of, of being able to really kind of take it to the next level and do it in a more formal way. And so I had a business partner and friend who we started collaborating and we created Twin Cities Enneagram about four years ago on the basis of wanting to be able to use Enneagram in multiple spaces and spheres. So as you mentioned, you know, we work with small teams, we work with big corporations, and we work with, say there's a book club on a Friday night and they want to bring us in to talk about the Enneagram, we'll kind of come to that too, as well as individuals. Really, our big goal is 
to be able to make sustainable and meaningful change using the tool of the Enneagram. I think when we're at our best, we're working with teams or with individuals over a longer stint of time. So it's not just like, oh, we're showing up for one hour and we're talking about this fun thing. And then maybe you talk about it with your coworkers or your friends for the next day, maybe not. But really what we're after is being able to kind of create a long-term conversation with groups of people and individuals so that we can see the change that, that we believe is possible while using the Enneagram. I totally agree. And I think the longer I've had awareness, absolutely, the more I've grown and can see myself moving into the healthier version of myself, even to the point where I'm like, am I really an eight? I mean, there's such, yeah. there's such yeah. negative connectivity. <laughs> that I'm like, I want to be something else. But we're going to talk about that. Yeah. Um, there's also so many wonderful qualities about eights, and I'm just going to lean into that and tell myself it's okay. So I'm I'm excited to talk a little bit more about what the Enneagram actually is. You mentioned that it helps create awareness and empathy. How does it do that? What yeah. What is it? Yeah, yep. So the Enneagram, like I, I mentioned earlier, at its base, it's a personality typing tool. And it's on the structure of nine different types, which we'll talk about in more detail a little bit later. I think what is really unique about the Enneagram, if people are familiar with other personality typing, is that while you certainly do get a type, one of nine types, it's not just identifying the behavior. Where most personality typing tools that we use are really centered on kind of behavior, and I like to call that the tip of the iceberg. What the Enneagram really gets to is the why behind that behavior. So, you know, Stacy, I'm a two, you're an eight. You and I could do the very exact same behavior but we may have very, very different different reasons for why we're doing that behavior. And that's the crux of the Enneagram is getting to that core motivation and unpacking that for each of the types. And that's where I think the real magic is and growth because we're not just doing behavior modification, you know? We're really looking at like, but what's the reason behind this? And and maybe what led me to that reason, you know, and being able to unpack that why creates an awareness so we can make a different choice. So one of the questions that leads me to is how is, is that type determined them? Like what, when you say root, right? So for example, as I mentioned, I'm an Enneagram eight and I feel very passionately about justice. And so I can see that part of it really connecting. But at the same time, I'm also like, well, I've realized in the past couple of years, some things about my own interpretation of my childhood, right? Like my perception and how my, my lived experience formed that need to control, which is the, the eight is, is all about control. And so I've been doing a lot of work on letting go of that and realizing that that was a maladaptive coping skill and being like, I can't, I can't control everything, blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around. Does that make me still an eight? But that's my root. That was, that's my why. Right. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So like we mentioned earlier, there are nine different types. And for every single type, there is a key motivation and a key fear. And you sort of just tapped into that by highlighting the eight and the need 
for the eight to protect themselves and others. And it's really right to feel in control of a situation. And that kind of becomes the driving point for behavior. And, and to your point, I talk about this with a lot of people when they're having a harder time figuring out what their type is. Oftentimes it's because we have, we've seen that in ourselves and we've figured out other pathways to sort of get to a healthy version of that, whether that was through the language of the Enneagram or not, you know, we've learned different ways to getting to that. And so it may be less apparent at that point, but the way that it goes with the Enneagram in theory, your type does stay the same, but depending on our work and our awareness of it, our behavior may look, may look different throughout our lifetime. Okay. I'm trying to to think about this and not put anybody who is a certain type, an Enneagram type, in a box. Because yeah. I do think that that is the, the conversation words that a lot of people use. At least when I hear Enneagram referred to in conversation, right? There's, there is a box like, oh, that's so typical whatever it is. And and I, I know this personally because people talk so badly yes. about hate. We can be problematic when we're not healthy, I'll be honest. Are we really worse than others? Are there are there bad Enneagrams and good Enneagrams? <laughs> I'm so glad you're asking this, Stacy, and appreciate the full disclosure. And and the answer is absolutely not. There are not, you know, better types than others. They're all on the same playing field. And I just think about any personality, right? the more oftentimes the personalities that wear their hearts and their sleeves more readily than others, they're easier to see. And so I think sometimes with AIDS, it's like, it's out there more. It's a more robust personality that is on the exterior. And so people can see it more quickly, you know, but I will just say this, and, and I feel really strongly about this. When people hear, you know, personality typing systems, they can back away because of what you just said. They don't want to be boxed in. They don't want another label to add to themselves or anyone else. And I completely agree with that. I'm, I'm not in the business of adding more labels or more ways to stereotype people in the universe. We don't need that. I think we all know that. I think when we use the Enneagram as a tool for expansion, being able to illuminate complexities in ourselves and those around us, uh, those around us, it opens us up rather than closes us in. And I think, and I love that you're having this conversation because I think when we're only using the Enneagram as a shortcut or as creating like a funny meme about Enneagram type threes or Enneagram type ones, it really is doing this narrowing business. And that's not what we're here for. We're here to be able to write open up language to expand the story about ourselves and about others so that we can see each other more wholeheartedly and with more empathy and compassion. I love that. And I also love that the more that I understand not just myself, but other types, like, yes, the memes can be funny, but also understanding what the motivation or the driver behind why someone is behaving a certain way. Like the more I learn about that, the more it enables me to not just have compassion for them, but also kind of adjust my approach and whatever it might be that I'm trying to either work with someone on or, you know, what happens more frequently in our house, because we do therapeutic foster care and I've been 
married 20 years and that takes work is kind of understanding like, oh, I see someone's, we say shields, right? Like their shields are coming up and that's when we can kind of say, maybe for somebody else, you might say, oh, that's a red flag. We try not to use the word trigger in this house, but when you start to see behavior that is demonstrating someone reacting in a way that's kind of being protective, we can tie that to an Enneagram type, yes, because we see certain, you know, behaviors or expectations. But more of what it enables me to do is say, oh, I see someone's defenses coming up. I need to help them de-escalate. How can I do that? Let me understand their drivers. And we mm-hmm. call that empathy. And I, I think, you know, we we myself even use words, empathy, compassion, these kinds of things. I don't think they really have the full ability to really address what it is that we're trying to do to be compassionate or to be empathetic in terms of seeing someone working through something and not escalating ourselves, but instead Mm -hmm. thinking like, how can I diffuse this bomb? Like that's kind of how my brain has learned to switch on. Whereas in my much unhealthier eight days, (laughs) it was very difficult for me to do that, right? Like somebody else is escalating and I'm like, in order to control the situation, I need to escalate even further. And now I realize what I'm doing is I am still very much controlling the situation, but I'm learning that a healthier, better way to do that is to help someone de-escalate, understanding what it is that's motivating their disruption or whatever it is that might be happening and do it in a more calm and compassionate sort of way. I'm wondering if that applies across all Enneagram types or if the <laughs> if this is a Stacy thing, because I do think understanding others is, is really important. Yes. No, I, I love how you describe that. And the language you use is beautiful. I think that it's really, especially in the heightened moments, I think what you're describing where they're more conflict oriented, you know, we're able really to kind of step back and, and do the work to not take it so personally and say, oh, this isn't actually about me. This is about something that's going on with them. And I can see that because I know that their core, core motivation, for instance, if I'm a one, is to be sure that I can stay true to my values and my integrity. And so I'm being motivated out of that. And that's how we can make space for one another, which is exactly what you just described, right? That's how we create the space to sort of be able to diffuse because we aren't viewing it as an affront against us right? We're seeing, oh, this person is spinning as a result of their core motivation and fear. And oftentimes may have very little to do with me, you know? Absolutely. So we've talked a lot about the different types, I think, which we'll probably get to examining what they are. But for listeners who maybe have never read an Enneagram book or, you know, taken a test or whatever it is, what would be the best way for someone to determine their type? Because we're going to talk about types and I'll be honest, I know that you're going to hear something and it's going gonna, it's gonna to resonate like, but there are some things where I'm like, I want to be that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Great question. The Enneagram typing system is a little bit different than things like the Finder or Myers-Briggs where you take a test and the printer, you know, 
prints out a label and you're good to go. Tests that you take with Enneagram, we say are about 70% accurate. And the reason for that is kind of what we already unpacked is that we're looking at motivation behind behavior. And so it's really dependent on your own self-awareness. And it's a little bit sometimes more challenging to uncover than just identifying a repeated behavior that you do. That said, we do really think tests are a great starting point for discovery. I, I think as long as you can take the test and you aren't like the moment the type gets spit out, that's who you are. If you can hold it loosely, I think it can be really beneficial as a starting point. We recommend the Ready test and that's R-H-E-T-I. It isn't free, it's $12, but it is the most researched and developed test and it provides a really thorough description of both your highest scoring type as well as the two that you score highest underneath that. I do recommend when you take the test to be thinking about who you were in your early 20s at your core. Oftentimes in our early 20s, that's when the most identity formation is happening and when it's at its peak. And it's when we put less sort of buffers in the mix. And so it can be easier to identify what that core motivation is at that point. And then when you get your assigned type, hold it loosely, like I said. You're the only person who can truly know why you do what you do. And so it's really important to read through the descriptions. And if there is one that's resonating way more than another, I would say go with that. And I, I think, Stacey, I'm sure you can agree when you read your type and it does land, you know when you know. It's like someone's been reading your journal for the past 15 years, you know, and it it's this feeling of like feeling seen, but then also just maybe a little uncomfortable for how seen you might feel. Yes, absolutely. It's like you're reading someone pointing out your flaws in a way that's like, they're not trying to insult you, but you're yeah. insulted. Yeah, I, it's interesting. So I did the ready test and I actually pulled it up in January, 2019. And I, just so people kind of have an understanding of how this test comes across, it tells you a score of every single type and it tells you the one that you scored highest on is your type, but then you have other types that are listed. And in my case, I was a type eight, the challenger. We're going to get into what these are. And I scored 29 on that. Type one reformer, I scored 26 on. And then I had the loyalist at 18, the achiever at 17, individualist at 15, type five, the investigator at 14. Now in my mind, I'm a questioner by nature. You're talking about types. I think a lot of challengers are also rebels in the personality mm -hmm. type, but I'm a questioner. And so I think that's why also there are some parts of a type eight that I don't quite feel I have as strongly as in other ways. And so I look at a list and I'm like, the investigator, <laughs> that's what I want to be. No, I'm not, not at all. Yeah. But I think, you know, when I read it, I'm like, yeah, no, that doesn't make any sense. But what I love about the ready test, I'm glad you recommended that one. It does cost money, but in my opinion, if you're fascinated by this, it's definitely worth it because it gives not just what your type is, but it gives an extensive insight into the, the 
what they call healthy and unhealthy, and then also help you understand your interactions with others, warning signs for if you're kind of going to a place where you're burned out or overwhelmed, what you might see in yourself, what you might be seeing in relationship issues, right? Like if you find yourself, you know, feeling certain things or behaving a certain way, that's telling you that you're having some relationship issues and red flags and different kinds of things to look for. And then I had my husband, Matt, take the ready test and he took it later, December 2020. So like quite a bit long, almost two years after I took mine. And he's a type six. And again, his top three types were 23, 20, and 20. So I remember I scored 29 on type eight. I'm pretty strong. And so his were 23, 20, 20 in six, five, and four. And then he had type nine, the peacemaker in 19 and the achiever in 18. So he has almost very close, even distribution of Mm -hmm. his types. And what's really great is that we were able to kind of read about how sixes and eights work together in healthy or not healthy ways from the ready test. And it really did inform conversations that we had with each other. Like, oh yeah, when you do that, it really does bother me. Or that's like, that's you poking a bear when you do that sort of behavior with me and learning that if we want to be in a, you know, long, healthy relationship that we need to learn how to not do the things that bother one another and have understanding and compassion and support in whatever ways that we need when we're kind of having those moments. And I think that personally was the value for me of the ready test that I haven't seen in any of the other tests, like the ones that you might take quick on the internet are just like, here's your type versus really digging into all the stuff that you're talking about the behind it. And also the, you know, interaction and the relationship part. Exactly. And I'm so glad you shared that. I think that's another added benefit of doing it alongside of community, whether it's your partner, whether it's a group of friends, whoever it may be, is because you can have those meaningful conversations and make those connections with one another, both from your own insight being inside of yourself, but also the person next to you who sees the external behavior coming out, you know? And what I love about the Enneagram is that because it's a shared language, sometimes we're able to talk about things that we wouldn't be able to otherwise because we're kind of agreeing on a shared set of norms and how we're going to talk about those hard things, you know? And so we can have more vulnerable conversations that maybe don't feel as vulnerable because we have this shared set that we're talking about it with. So I'm so glad that that was your experience in taking the test and debriefing it. This podcast is brought to you by Dame Products. Yes, I said yes to the ultimate self-care brand because we all need to be more open to the idea of pleasure being good for us mentally and physically, whether by yourself or with a partner. We have owned several Dame products and I can tell you firsthand, Sarah would have appreciated that pun, that they are long lasting, high performance quality products. That is, they work and there is so much variety no matter what your personality type. Seriously, having a pleasure practice is good for you. It can improve the quality of your sleep, help you de-stress, relieve pain, even give you that lit from within glow as you go about your day. 
Most importantly, exploring your pleasure on your own helps you get in touch with yourself and learn more about what you like so you can better communicate with your partner. After all, isn't that what we're striving to learn more about today? I recommend you check out the Air. It is a suction vibrator from Dame Products. Dame's Air pulses air with a soft seal around just the right spot. It's perfect for beginners, it's waterproof, and it features five intensities and five vibration patterns. Perfect to find just what works for you. And the best part, Dame offers hassle-free returns within 60 days, so your satisfaction is literally guaranteed. Well, on the site, I highly recommend checking out Eva for a partner experience and make sure you put the oil in your cart because it passes my clean test. It is by far the best clean ingredient lubricant that I have ever seen or used and it doesn't get weird with use. So power up your pleasure with air, that's A-E-R, or any of the other toys from Dame Products. Go to dameproducts.com and use code WHOLEVIEW today for 15% off site-wide. That's code WHOLEVIEW to take 15% off your first order at dameproducts.com. This podcast is sponsored by Indeed. Right now, hiring is challenging. It's time for a hiring partner that can help you rise to the challenge. I personally got my big career break back in ye olden days through Indeed, so they have a little piece of my heart but they've grown so much since then. The right candidate is doing everything they can to find you. And if you use Indeed, you can be sure you're doing everything you can to find them too. And now Indeed has virtual interview options to save you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent seamlessly all in one place. And after using Indeed's virtual interviews, most employers say it saved them days of hiring time, according to Indeed Data US. Finding great talent doesn't have to be a second job. You can hire faster and better with Indeed. In fact, in the minute that I've been talking to you, 16 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. Indeed is the number one source of hires in the U.S., according to Talent Nest. And 73% of U.S. online job seekers search for jobs on Indeed each month, according to ComSource. And Indeed is doing something no other job site has done. Now with Indeed, Businesses only pay for quality applications matching the sponsored job description. Visit indeed.com slash wholeview to start hiring now. Just go to indeed.com slash wholeview. That's indeed.com slash wholeview. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, it's pretty funny for me personally. I'll just make fun of myself a little bit. The peacemaker, which if you asked me if I was a peacemaker, I would say absolutely not. I don't care about peace. I just want, I want to resolve whatever it is. And if it makes people uncomfortable, that's fine. That was a three for me. And so, you know, there are parts of this where you're like, yep, that's, that's me. Mm -hmm. So maybe you can give kind of an overview on what are the nine types, keeping in mind, we're not labeling anybody, we're not putting anybody in a box, but more, what are, what are some of the factors that each type represents? Absolutely. So we'll walk through this. I'd love to just make a note before we start. So there are nine types and they're organized in three groups of three. And we won't have time to get into this all right now, obviously, because we're just having an intro conversation. But it's worth it to note 
that there is a head center, a heart center, and a body center. And each group of three is organized into one of those centers. And that can be a helpful starting point as well as you're trying to unpack and figure out which type you are. So I'll make note as I walk through the types, which center that they're located in. So we can, we can kind of use that as a basis. So we'll start with our type one. These folks sometimes are called the reformer and their main fear and motivation are connected as are all the types. So the main fear is of, of being corrupt or defective. Oftentimes when you see this in you know, in meme culture or in stereotypes, they're called the perfectionists. I don't love that because I don't love the connotation that comes with that. But ones really are motivated to hold their own integrity and their values. And that can be two values that they really, really care and that are pillars in their life. That could be 64 values that they really care about. For every one, it's going to look different. But their strengths are that they're very ethical, they're detail-oriented, they're structured, and they're self-motivated. Alongside of those strengths, I always say every strength that gets overused is a liability. And so kind of thinking of the other side of the coin, the liabilities for ones then are that they can become rigid and judgmental and perfectionistic, which is where sometimes that stereotype comes from. So the ones, like I mentioned, all the types are situated within a center and they're situated in the body center, which means that oftentimes any, any type that's in a body center is really when they're processing the world, they're processing it through instincts and through their gut. And so oftentimes you'll hear that when they talk about how they might make decisions, how they move forward in the world, that's kind of where they're centering out of. I think it's ironic that one of the examples that's given of someone who is a reformer is Martha Stewart, because you said their basic fear is of being corrupt. <laughs> I think of her in jail. But maybe you can give us some other examples that might resonate a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, a real turning point for her, I'm sure. Anytime you see a one kind of like deviate from their set standards, which they may do a few times in their life, it's a big moment. So for Martha Stewart, you know, a big moment when that happened for her. But some other examples of ones that we see out in the world would be Michelle Obama, Tina Fey, Meryl Streep. Again, these are all just examples from what we see from their behavior. So can't say they're exact matches, but if we're trying to think about what it may gravitate towards. Those would be examples I would give. Great. Okay. You're number two. I'm excited to learn more about it. You ready to dive in? I am. Yep. Twos are often called the helper and they are motivated out of wanting to create positive connections with others as a result of not wanting to feel unworthy or unloved. And so these folks are really strong in being able to build relationships. They're generous, they're communicative, and they generally create just positivity out in the world, whether that's by fulfilling other people's needs or just generally making a positive impact. The liabilities then that come with those strengths is that they can become really overly involved. You know, I know, Stacey, you talked a little bit about the eights wanting to control. And oftentimes it's not talked about the twos is that twos really want to control as well. But the underbelly of their helping is that they're helping sort of to control the situation. And I think a lot of times that's not surfaced. And so as a result, they can become sort of like the over controlling or overly involved person in this situation. They can oftentimes become resentful as well if they feel like they've you know, met all these needs, volunteered for all the things, and it's not being reciprocated. 
And so for our twos, when we're thinking about examples out in the world, oftentimes Eleanor Roosevelt is cited, Dolly Parton, Stevie Wonder. Those can be great examples of what a two might look like. Makes a lot of sense to me. I just watched, this is a complete aside, but I just watched the First Ladies series. Have you seen that? I haven't, but I want to. Oh, it's so good. And it featured Eleanor Roosevelt. And as you were talking, I was like, I can 100% see that for her, and including the controlling as a means to to be connected to helping, but like to control the situation. So very yeah. interesting. You know, not at all anything I identify with. Moving right along to <laughs> type three. I forgot to mention the twos are also in the heart center. So the next three numbers, twos, threes, and fours are all in that heart center. So just want to orient you around that too. So we'll move on to our threes. These are often called the achievers. When you see memes or stereotypes about this, you'll see like the CEO who's working until, you know, 11 p.m. every night, which can be helpful as just sort of a, you know, an example, but that's not true for every three. Certainly there are plenty of threes where they want to achieve in a situation, but it may not be achieving in a work environment. It could be in relationships or in their faith community or wherever it may be. And that's motivated out of a fear of of feeling worthless. And so they're wanting to sort of create the achievement that others will see them as successful because they want to be able to feel valuable and worthwhile. Um, So when we think about the strengths for the threes, they're driven, they're really inspiring, and they're efficient. And I will say a key difference between our threes who are the achievers and our ones who are the reformers is that while both are really successful, threes are very comfortable with like good enough for efficiency's sake, where ones are like, it will be done with the utmost integrity. And that may mean I miss a deadline, but it's going to be done in the way that I see that it should be done without any sort of compromise. And so for threes then, kind of the liability that comes with that is that they can cut corners out of a out of a need to want to be really efficient. As you mentioned earlier, they can be prone to workaholism, whether that's in actual work or whatever it is the thing they're really wanting to be successful in. And they can become impatient both with themselves and with those around them. So when we're thinking about threes out in the world, some examples that we can highlight would be Oprah Winfrey, Bill Clinton, Will Smith. Those are all kind of good examples of sort of that that charismatic energy that really brings people along to achievement and success. It's interesting that you talked about them being willing to kind of like cut corners a little bit to make things happen. Because as you were talking, I physically shook my head. No. And I was like, no, no, (laughs) that's such the, that's the one and the eight in me. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And and threes and eights sometimes can be lookalikes. And that's actually, Stacey, what I highlight when we're trying to figure it out with a person, whether they're a three or eight is, are you willing to cut corners or not, you know, and oftentimes that's kind of like the sign. Yeah, no, no, I'm physically shook my head again. No, absolutely (laughs) not. (laughs) Although I am, I am working on perfectionism. We had Jeffrey Marsh on and talked about how perfectionism is really a, a toxic trait. And that was so helpful for me to, to be be working on that healthy version of myself. So if you listeners didn't hear that show and struggle with perfectionism, I really encourage you to go back and listen to a season three, episode one, because it was a fantastic show. Okay, but moving on, 
You ready to talk about type four? I sure am. Yep. The fours, again, are the last type of our heart center folks, and they're often called the individualists. I describe fours with sort of like the motion of a push and pull. They're really motivated out of wanting to be able to stand out from the crowd and to be seen as unique. But then they have this push and pull competition of that they really want to have a deep sense of belonging. And if you know a four well, you can just sense that energy with them. Their strengths are that they're very authentic. They're willing to be really emotionally honest and to kind of be able to talk about the hard things, both with themselves personally and with those around them. They're emotionally intuitive and they're empathetic. The liabilities with fours can be is that they can kind of get themselves stuck in that place of introspection. And out of that sometimes can appear to be moody or have a hard time getting unstuck. Out of that, because they have such an idea of what, you know, what the ideal situation is, usually from an aesthetic perspective, they can become jealous of other people who may be doing it better than they are. And fours do have a really strong connection with the one. And I will say the four and one connection is really clear. So if you're trying to determine if you're a four or not, thinking about how you may move to the one out of that perfectionism can be a really, a really big sign that you're motivated out of the four, the four's primary motivations and fears. For examples of fours, there, there's a lot out there, especially because a lot of fours are artistic and so can appear a lot as musicians or artists or authors. And so a lot of examples as far as what's in popular culture. But some examples for you would be Alanis Morissette, Bob Dylan, Stevie Nicks, to name a few. Yeah, I the fours that I know in real life are so creative and in ways that like surprise you, you know, mm-hmm. and that like I couldn't think of myself. And you're just like, how did you even think about that? So if you know someone like that, they might be, <laughs> they might be a four. And I, I think it's interesting, the key motivations and some of the things that hold them back, you know, in, in my mind, not, not being that type myself. I'm like, what? Why are you doubting? Like, you're so amazing. Mm -hmm. You're doing whatever. But really, there's this like paralyzation of trusting themselves. Does that, is that right? Yeah. That is very right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The investigator. Oh, my, I, you know, my, my dream type. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I'll say we're shifting into the head center here. So our head center types are five, six, and seven. So we'll be hanging there. And that just means that these folks, when they're moving throughout the world, they often process the world first through like an objective thought-based way. And so for our fives, what that means for them is they are motivated out of being competent and being able to have enough information. I always say about fives, like, oh man, when the internet came on the scene for fives, whoo, really introduced Pandora's box for them because they will research things to no end in order to gather enough information to feel capable and competent. And that's because their basic fear is that they might be helpless or incapable. So for fives, their strengths are that they're objective, they're self-sufficient, they're intellectual, and, and they're really curious. And they just have this rich inner life. Every time I talk to a five, I, I just want to know what they're thinking about and what they're stewing on because they're willing to kind of take it to its depths. If you need to make a hard decision that is a particularly emotionally charged decision, get a five by your side and help them to help you see sort of the objective perspective at hand. 
Um, the liabilities that come with the five then is that they can over-intellectualize and they can withdraw. I talk about fives and energy levels. It's like they're very aware of when they've hit empty and they will not run the car past empty. It's like if the gas light is on, we're stopped. Or many other types will kind of keep going. But for fives, when they've hit that, they've hit that. And that can cause some paralysis on their end as well. For examples out in the world, Albert Einstein is a great example of a five. Emily Dickinson, Bill Gates could be another example as well. So folks who are really willing to kind of just reach for the ends to be able to find the answers to their questions. I am fascinated to discuss the relationship between sixes and fives because my life partner is a six, but has so many of the investigator qualities, which is, I think, interesting that I think that fives are my favorite type and it's it's interesting to me, not necessarily to like, there's a difference between in your type who works together well, right? Like I'm not mm-hmm. saying that an eight and a five are best to, to work together. I'll leave that to you, to experts talk about. But from my perspective, I personally just have a lot of appreciation for knowledge like as a questioner I just I love knowledge and so an investigator is someone who is like just really seeking out information to such a degree that I'm like I want to be with that person I want to have that information um and it makes sense that there's a lot of those qualities in the partner that I chose um Mm -hmm. but my partner is a loyalist. And so mm-hmm. what's interesting to me is I don't understand the wings, but I'm assuming mm-hmm. that he is a six wing five, right? Like yeah. he, that's, that, that's why he's a loyalist, but he also has the investigator as his second up, which would make that his wing. But I have no idea what wings mean <laughs> because that's not my expertise, but I'm assuming that's what he is. <laughs> Maybe he could inform us. Yes. Let's take a, we'll just take a brief pause and talk about wings. Cause it's a great time since you've got that example highlighted to talk about it. So wings, every type can have a wing and wings. What's available to you as your type is the number. If you're looking at the circle of the Enneagram, either on the left or the right side of you. So above or below So for instance, like you just described with your partner being a six, his wings that are available to him are a five or a seven. And the way that I like to describe it is that your primary motivation never changes as your type, right? So if he's a six, he's the loyalist, he's seeking after support and security and safety. But And your wings can change throughout your life. So maybe earlier on in life, he was a seven. And so say that a six is the color blue. We would say that when he's, you know, accessing that seven wing, maybe he's a light sky blue, right? And so it's the same primary color. It's the same primary motivation, but the behavior is showing up differently depending on maybe the situation or the time in life, what's available to him. And then maybe now he's really accessing the five wing and we'll use it as like, maybe it's a navy blue. So it's still the same primary type, but the behavior shows up differently depending on your wing. So for you, Stacey, as an eight, the wings that you have access to are either the seven or the nine. And which is kind of, I find really, really amazing with the eight that they do have that access to the nine, the peacemaker. Some eights identify with that, some really do not. Yeah, no. 
I mean, <laughs> the parts, and we'll get to nines, but the parts that I do identify is that when my gas tank is on empty, I do go to nine. Like I, yeah. I withdraw yeah. and I need to kind of like refill my cup from that perspective. So, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Let's talk about Matt, the loyalist. Yes. Okay. So we're on sixes. And again, these are in the head center and sixes, their basic fear. We kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but is that they would be without support and guidance. And so they're seeking security and support wherever they can. And a lot of times when we see this stereotyped out in the world, it's like the person who's checking to be sure that their doors are locked eight times before they go to bed. And that may be true. That's related to environmental security or physical security. But for a lot of sixes, it could actually just be like emotional or relational security. So you can think like metaphorically, emotionally, they're checking to be sure the door is locked eight times, you know, and that's how they're driving after that. Sixes, their strengths are that they're analytical, they're insightful, and they're really reliable. So as the name says, the loyalist is kind of the tagline. Sixes will stick with who is in their kind of their group, their pack, no matter what, and they will show up. And I like to say the difference between a six and a two is that a six really will show up and do the thing and show up for you as a friend, no matter what, or the two will say that they're going to, and like, likely they will, but they may not. Where six, it's like this real instinct in them to be loyal, to be responsible, no matter what. And when we think about their basic desire or motivation, it's because they want to secure that support and that safety, you know? And so their liabilities that come with that is that they can be risk adverse. So a lot of times sixes will see all the possibilities for everything that can go wrong and they'll plan accordingly. And so it can be really good if you're working with a six to be able to kind of push them to take that risk. And they can be skeptical or micromanaging because they see all of those possibilities out there. A lot of anxiety too, right? Yeah. Because because all of those possibilities are constantly swirling around the there can be anxiety around them happening, I find. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And what I like to say with a six and, and obviously doing this with gentleness and compassion, but is instead of asking what if, asking why not. Mm-hmm. And really a practice for a six is, you know, it doesn't have to be this huge risk, like quit my job tomorrow type of risk, but practicing that in slow and small increments as a way to kind of test it out and show yourself that it's possible to not have the worst case scenario show up. Other than Matt, what would be an example? Yeah, yeah. So some examples out in the world would be Marilyn Monroe, David Letterman, Jay Leno. Any of those are really great examples of sixes out there. Okay, so I am curious about the possibility of the other wing because I see so much of the five wing in Matt. I am interested to talk about the enthusiast because there's not much about the enthusiast that I see in him other than the scattered nature. <laughs> so yeah. there's got to be more to the to the seven than that. Yes, it's very true. So the sevens are the last type in the head center. And these folks seek to feel happy no matter what. I always say 
With both sevens and eights, you can usually tell who they are right away when they walk in a room. And the reason that's true is for a seven is they bring so much levity and just playfulness and optimism into basically anywhere that they anywhere that they show up. They're imaginative, they're enthusiastic, they're your brainstormers and idea generators, and they're innovative. One thing that's really interesting about sevens, the more and more that I work with them, is that while their basic fear is that they might be deprived or that they want to do everything to prevent pain, oftentimes they can't recognize that at the ready. Sevens are very future-oriented and almost live in the future. And once sevens start to unpack that, they're able to uncover like, oh, the reason that I'm living in the future, like planning my next vacation on my vacation is because I'm I'm running away from the possibility of pain. And it's kind of, I've heard a seven describe it as like, I feel like there's this shadow that I'm trying to outrun. And that's kind of the underbelly of the seven. And so that liability can kind of create, like we talked about, an unfocused nature to them and can, can have them avoid discomfort or remain at a surface level so they don't have to interact with the possibility of pain. Um, So when we think about sevens in the world, some good examples that we can give you would be Katy Perry, Britney Spears, Steven Spielberg. I think Robin Williams is a really great example of these sevens who kind of show up and they bring their levity and their gift of optimism to us as as kind of their gift to the world. But also, you know, the, the possibility of kind of like the the shadow you said right the darkness that also follows with them like i think robin williams but also robert downey, downey jr like is a really yeah. great example of like unhealthy and healthy seven from his addiction to you know becoming Marvel superhero, right? Like that's a, that's a really great example for me. Yeah. And I liked, I mean, this is a good time to just talk about if you have a seven in your life, being able to create the possibility that they don't have to be the life of the party, you know, and being able to create that room. And I think that's true for every single one of these types. It's like when we are so stuck in our type and everyone who we're closest to is used to us being stuck in that type it takes some effort to create space for people to kind of break out of that, you know? And for sevens, especially, I think if you are close with a a seven to be able to reassure that it's okay, they don't have to bring that enthusiasm every single time. Okay. Let's talk about me. Let's talk about you, Stacey, and you, you can illustrate with all the stories that you want. That's okay. Um, I think it's, I think eights are pretty obvious. So I talked about with the seven, I said sevens and eights, when they walk in the room, there is this energy. And we said with sevens, there's this levity that comes into this space. And with this eight, they're the challenger. There is just this powerfulness that comes with an eight, whether they want it or not. When they show up to a community or a group, oftentimes they end up being the leader, whether it's an actual label that's put on them or not. And that's because they're self-confident, they're assertive, and they're able to see the big picture and be action-oriented with that. They're motivated out of wanting to protect themselves and others. And you and I have kind of already talked about this as it relates to control. What I hear from mates, and you can you can tell me if I'm wrong or right on this based on your experience, is that 
it's not necessarily that they want to control others. It's that they don't want to be controlled by others and they want to maintain control of themselves. And so there is this piece of the eight of being able to be in charge and lead as a way to be able to maintain control for themselves. One thing that I like to really share about the eights is that there is this really tender side to eights and people who are closest with eights can usually affirm this. Eights have a usually a tight inner circle that they let in to see this tender side of themselves. And it's really kind of like accessing that vulnerability is the growth point for the eight. So with the liability then that comes with that, with being these strong leaders who are decisive and assertive, is that sometimes it can, it can come across as being blunt or aggressive. And that's what I usually hear from AIDS, it's usually not an intention, but it's not realizing maybe the impact of their action. And so for an eight, a real good growth point is being able to check in with the people around them to be able to assess that impact. Yep, that's me. <laughs> I will say when you were talking about control and controlling others, what's interesting is for me because I am so motivated by wanting to protect others that it's not necessarily that I want to control another. It's that I don't want another to be controlled by someone else. And so I will like fight whatever I need to fight so that that person can make their own choices or that I can, if I feel like I can be a voice for that person, that I will fight the other person so that I can be the voice, not because I want to control them, but I want them to be in control. And if they need me to do that, like I will step up and do that. And I think it's pretty obvious for our listeners how this would manifest in me and seeing the vulnerable side, because I I 100% am incredibly vulnerable publicly. And I talk a lot about being a foster parent and my experiences with that. And I think seeing how I show up to protect others, to advocate for others and, and those sort of things, that is a very strong eight in me. And one of the things that I talked about on social was that I wanted to kind of reevaluate if I was still an eight because I've done so much work over the past Mm -hmm. couple of years in therapeutic foster care in my own personal growth. And what's interesting to me is, nope, still an eight, because I am still absolutely motivated by wanting to protect and do all those things. However, the way that I show up for that, like you said, my my behavior, Mm -hmm. and how I choose to approach these things is entirely different. And I think a really good example of that in my own life that I think maybe others could resonate with is I used to be one of those people, one might refer to them as a Karen, who would constantly ask for the manager, right? Mm -hmm. Like I would constantly be trying to make things right by getting justice for what I felt like the the meal wasn't right. And so therefore there should be $5 off or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Like those kinds of things were really powerful in my mind. Whereas now... I don't, I completely let that go 99.9% of the time. And the thing that I want to protect and control is that like the person who's serving me is getting what is due to them, that I'm making sure that they're getting a proper tip, that they're being treated well in the environment that they're in. And sometimes I'll talk to a manager because I don't like the way that a waiter was treated and I've seen it. Do you know what I'm like? Those are the ways that I choose to show up now is that's a good example. 
Oh, I just, I love that so much. And I, I love how you unpack that because we don't, we don't need you to not be an eight, right? We really need eights because of their passion for justice and their passion to stand up for people, for people who may not be able to stand up for themselves. And so I think that's a great just example for any of these types. And we talked about this at the beginning. It can feel exposing when we see kind of like the liability side of our type, but it's exactly what you just described, which is figuring out how to harness the strengths and harness those motivations because we still need those strengths to come out, right? We still need you to be you and to stand up and be able to protect others and make those action-oriented, decisive decisions. But it's being able to kind of like step back and peel back those behaviors that maybe aren't as helpful. I think some of the examples of eight are also really powerful in terms of where things can go really right and where things can go really wrong because we are so powerful and dominating if you use that force for good versus not. <laughs> right? Like, so for example, I'll say like Saddam Hussein is, for example, someone that you could think of as a type eight. I am assuming Hitler would be someone that you could see as a type eight, right? But we can also see really great positive people like Franklin Roosevelt, Martin Luther King, right? Am I getting these right? Right? Like yeah, these, are. yeah, Absolutely. powerful kind of positive force for change. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And like we said at the beginning, it's like any of these personality types where they're more, we can see their exterior more clearly, we're able to it's on display for everyone, you know? And so you can see it at its height and when it's at its best and you can see it at its worst, like you just described. Okay. Last one. Last one are nines. So these, I forgot to mention both the eights and the nines are in the body center. So eights, nines, and ones is the group that is in that center. And the nines are our peacemaker and their, their real goal and motivation is around having comfort and harmony both within themselves and on the outside. Oftentimes when we see this, you know, displayed on social media or wherever, it can be described as just sort of like the sloth. And nines really aren't sloths. I guess they can be just like any other type can be. But really what they're looking for is to be able to create harmony for themselves and for those around them. And so their strengths are that they're incredible mediators. They're able to see sort of all sides of the story they're easygoing and they're non-judgmental and they're really ready to adapt to any situation. And so, and so they're honestly really great friends and really great partners to have as a result of that. They're agreeable, they're ready to show up and be present. The liabilities that can come with that then is that they can use indirect communication instead of direct because, right, if I'm uncomfortable with conflict and if what is going on is gonna produce conflict, my best kind of tool if I'm a nine might feel like it's going to be indirect or sort of passive aggressive communication. And they may procrastinate. And oftentimes what I see more with nines is not necessarily procrastination, but it's the inability to prioritize. So nines can be very, very busy, but it may have a hard time figuring out what is most important, especially if what is most important is something that's uncomfortable for them. And so when we think about nines in the world and examples of them, some of the people that I would probably share would be George Lucas, James Taylor, Gina Davis, any one of those are great examples of, of nines. Interesting. I 
you know, I'm hearing as an eight, right? Like my wings would be seven and nine. And Mm -hmm. while I would never think of myself as an enthusiast, like I'm not what I would call extroverted. I think that there's a lot of things about a seven as you were talking where I'm like, Oh, yep. Those different things about myself. And I could say the same about a nine, which is interesting because one might think that a challenger couldn't also be agreeable. Right. Uh, But I think that there's a lot of things about knowing the right time to pick your battles and those kinds of things. And so oftentimes I can be, reassuring and agreeable and just kind of go with the flow so that I can pick my battle at a different time. And I also think that I didn't realize this about a peacemaker before. I am very good at listening to all sides of a story and then coming in with my powerful personality and being like, and here's how I'm going to bring it all together for you. (laughs) Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. So that I understand wings now. Thank you for that. Absolutely. I'm curious if there are commonalities with types like which ones present more frequently in the world on on the regular which ones might we be encountering more often than others you know I don't know if I can say like what is most what is most out there in the world I think there's been you know some misnomers that sixes are the most common type or or threes are the type that we would describe American culture as. And I don't I don't really know if I'd adhere to that, but I would say, like we've talked about already, that the ones that are more external presenting are the ones that we just see more because they're just more visible as a result of their type, right? So we're talking about sevens and eights and threes. We they're gonna present more because it's a little bit more obvious, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's not like, for example, the, I forget what the type is, the questioner, the rebel, and then there's the other two that are more common, right? Like, it's not that, it's kind of an even distribution of types. We're just going to see them show up in the world more often. Yes, exactly. Okay, Okay, that Mm -hmm. makes sense. And I... I know I've talked about this relative to what I've learned myself over the journey that I've done as a foster parent. And I also want to, you know, share with our listeners that you have a background in therapy. What can we share relative to what the Enneagram might tell us about our own specifically unresolved traumas as, as someone who used the Enneagram as a tool to learn more about that myself because once you know your motivation then you can kind of unpack a little bit of like why would that be my motivation do you have any insight into what one might be able to utilize once they've identified their type yeah for sure I'll clarify here that our our other, another practitioner of ours is a licensed therapist. And so that is her background. And I I do want to tread carefully because, and you do this so great in your podcast, that the Enneagram isn't therapy. And so when it comes to trauma, for sure, accessing licensed mental health professionals. At the same time, I will say that when we lead sessions with groups and individuals, my experience is that the Enneagram kind of becomes this breadcrumb trail to some of that unresolved trauma. And and we can kind of just see this as we've been having this conversation, because when we're looking at the why we do what we do, those motivations are usually based out of well-developed coping skills that we've learned and we've honed over time as a result to kind of cope and to make it. And oftentimes, if we are a person who's experienced trauma, 
those coping skills came out of that experience of trauma, right? And so it can be a connecting the dots place when we're looking at the Enneagram. And I can say, you know, in a workplace setting, I've been on numerous occasions where I've been leading a session and we're just talking about the general motivation. We're not talking about childhood wounds or touching any of that. But when we surface those messages, it can be pretty powerful and kind of hit a tripwire to accessing some of that stuff that's been tucked away from the surface because we're exposing what's underneath the iceberg. Yeah, it makes so much sense. And I think my, the journey that I've been on and I think where, you know, I went wrong, so to speak, I'm using quotation marks and thinking that my type could change as I was thinking to myself, well, now that I've identified what that tripwire is, right? Yeah. Like now I realize why I want to control everything. Now my type will have changed because I no longer want to control everything. Exactly. <laughs> but as I mentioned, it's it's the way it's the way that I want to do that. It's the, you know, how I want to show up and I don't want to make other people uncomfortable. I want to be aware of these kinds of things. Whereas I really either wasn't or didn't care previously. And so what's you know, interesting to me is I was like, well, now that I've resolved that and I'm using yeah. like, you know, this little like elbow arm movement here, right? Like with a winky face. And so now that I've resolved that, no, we don't ever resolve that. First of all, it's we come to terms with it and accept it yeah. and those kinds of things. It still exists. It's still the underpinning. So I'm, I'm assuming that if you're, you know, on the cusp of two types, maybe there might be some flexibility in wh where you bounce back and forth in terms of where you are in your life. But overall, our types aren't really changing because our experiences aren't changing. Correct? Exactly. Yep, you're exactly right. Our types don't change, like we mentioned, but their expressions or the way they show up might change. And I would say not even might, they do, right? Because who I show up you know, how I show up at work is going to look differently than how I show up at home. And I need different things in those different situations. But kind of that primary motivation, that primary fear stays the same. Okay, last question. I was super surprised to learn when I was researching Enneagram. Specifically, I was looking for a book. It's so funny that you said that you do book club stuff because my team is currently, we're doing book club with Enneagram and I was looking for a book and I was surprised to see that there were a number of books that were identifying as religious Enneagram. Is the Enneagram specific to a religious belief or like what is how how does that show up? Yeah, super great question. It is not specific to a specific belief or religious system, but there are there have been a variety of religious contexts in which the Enneagram has been and is used in. And so we see that influenced in the practitioners that are out there alongside of the resources that are out there, but it is not rooted in a singular religion. And actually, I mean, we go real deep here, but I'll save all the details and let, let our fives do the research for us. It has a lot of exposure and actually a lot of different religious systems and isn't singular to one. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We'll be sharing what we really thought over on patreon.com slash the whole view. So if you have questions, that is the best place to follow up. And if you love the show that we create and produce ourselves, the Patreon is a great way to support the show. And so is leaving a review and just hitting the follow or subscribe button. Seriously, if you haven't written a review with words, 
I would just really appreciate it in whatever podcast app you're using so that others can find us too. If you'd like to connect more with Twin Cities Enneagram, you can do so at their website, Twin Cities Enneagram. And if you don't know how to spell Enneagram, it is E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. And of course, we'll put links in the show notes. You can also follow on their Instagram handle by the same name. And I have done work with Shannon and her team before. I would definitely recommend it if it's something that you're thinking about either for your own personal development or for a group of people that you work with, your neighborhood book club, whatever it is. But I I think there's such ability to really have personal growth in understanding these motivating factors, both in yourself and with others that you care about. So highly recommend. Did I forget anything, Shannon? We are all covered. Excellent. Well, join us over at Patreon and we'll be back again next week, everybody. We are Allie and Erica, certified integrative nutrition health coaches in gut and hormone health and the hosts of the podcast, Courageous Wellness. We are committed to destigmatizing conversations in the wellness space and celebrate the experiences and lessons of our guests in pursuit of physical, emotional, and spiritual wellness. Listen to Courageous Wellness wherever you get your podcasts with fresh episodes every Wednesday.